You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome in, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. And it's Thursday, which means you know the drill. We're going over the early Week 13 matchup preview shows. Of course, today, this Thursday, we do not have a game tonight to talk about. Instead, what we have is we have a doubleheader on Monday and a Tuesday night game for that matchup between the Baltimore Ravens and the Dallas Cowboys. The Pittsburgh Steelers game will be the first Monday night game, I believe, between Pittsburgh and Washington. And, of course, we have the regular Monday night game with the 49ers and the Buffalo Bills. All of those games will be part of the late Week 13 window matchup previews tomorrow from 12 o'clock to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Same time, same place there. So we got a lot. We got to go into today's show. A lot of the early afternoon games on Sunday. We have a lot of mailbag questions because I selected a few. Felt bad last holiday because we had to jam so much content into our holiday special last Thanksgiving. Thank you all who joined in for that from 8 to 9 uh, o'clock in the morning. It was really early for this show. It was only an hour long. We had a lot of games we had to get to because nobody was on by so we had jammed a lot of content into there we didn't get any mailbag questions in but we do have mailbag segment today and like always if you ever need advice or help with your fantasy lineups or you want to try to get an opportunity to have your name your question your comment shouted out on the mailbag segment all you have to do is follow us on social media at belly up mdff show hit us up on there and we will definitely get back to you on that so kick things off today uh we have some corona news Right now, we're still awaiting you know, news from Baltimore Ravens about Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins, exactly if they're going to definitely be cleared. We know that yesterday they technically were eligible to be activated. That would mean that they were testing negative all throughout, even though they had tested positive earlier. So there's a pretty decent chance that they will be available come Tuesday for that game. Uh, so we'll see exactly what's able to happen there. But as of right now, as far as the Ravens are concerned with their coronavirus news around Lamar Jackson as well, we don't have a lot of details yet on Lamar Jackson. Uh, being that we haven't heard much, I would assume, not that I want to assume too much, but I would assume all more on the side of he has been testing negative since because had he tested positive again, I think we would have heard about that by now. But of course, we'll keep you up to date with all those player news notifications at Show on Twitter. Uh Cleveland Browns had to close their facilities yesterday due to coronavirus as well. That's, you know, I think, believe this is the fourth time they've had to close their facilities down. It was a staff member. It was not a player. So in some ways, that's the good news there so far. But as we saw last week, last Saturday, I would just, I'm going to pretty much call that the Rona Saturday, the bloody Saturday, where all of a sudden everybody went down all at the same time and drastically had to change fantasy lineups essentially on the fly because of all the Corona news. And Jonathan Taylor went out, and we all had all the stuff about the Ravens coming out. Pittsburgh Steelers all of a sudden were testing positive left and right. We had James Conner who was going to be out. It really changed a lot of fantasy lineups last Saturday. So, Here's my advice to you guys. You have to expect that to happen again, meaning have contingencies for your contingencies. This is 2020. This is fantasy football within 2020 season. You cannot go in 
early on in the week with, hey, this is going to be my lineup and I feel pretty good about it without having a backup plan, knowing that at any moment one of your key players in your lineups might have to get ruled out either due to high contact tracing or testing positive in their own right. So my advice to you is have contingencies for your contingencies. Have two to three possible flex plays that you feel good about going into your lineups in case guys have to get moved out and have to get shuffled around within your lineup. So just have backup plans, especially now. This is the last week, week 13 here. We're here. This is the last week of the regular season. The playoffs for almost every single platform, almost every single league. I don't. I know there's some leagues that have some different rules out there, but for the most part, we'll, the playoffs will start in week 14 next week week. This is your last chance to get into the postseason. A lot of people have already been in playoff mode the past couple of weeks, need a win this week to either clinch a division or clinch a playoff spot, whatever the case may be. But it is a very important week for fantasy football weeks. Don't get caught with your pants down by not having a contingency plan for guys that you need in different positions, especially if you know that they're on a team that's had some corona issues leading up until this point so just have contingencies for your contingencies make sure you're playing that waiver wire very very aggressively this week all right now that we have that bit of the news or the show out of the way because we had to talk about that let's dive into our first matchup for the early for the early window and we're gonna be talking about the Saints and Indiana Falcons here we got Taysom Hill we got Alvin Kamara what do you do with him Michael Thomas where is he at after one good game then one eh, so-so game the following week Let's start off with Alvin Kamara because that's the big one. A lot of people are panicking on that one. If you're in playoff position, you're wondering to yourself, well, are you actually going to have your RB1 be an RB1 heading into your postseason? And right now, I have to say that with Taysom Hill, the one thing that has been abundantly clear, most of us knew this after the very first week, I would have to say, but the second week into it pretty much confirmed that with Taysom Hill in there, he's not going to look to check the ball down to Alvin Kamara nearly as much because Alvin Kamara continues to split carries with Latavius Murray. Now, whether that's because of the toe issue or whether Sean Payton just doesn't want to change up what he had been doing for most of the season, which is having them kind of split the work when it came to the carries to begin with, to some degree, whatever the case may be, the the problem is this. If he's not going to have a floor in the passing game, which is what you kind of depend on for Alvin Kamara to give you his fantasy football value in the first place, well, then you can't count on him to be an RB1. Now, I'm not saying that means you have to bench Alvin Kamara, but what you do have to do is adjust your roster construction, adjust your roster expectations accordingly, meaning if you have to take extra shots here and there, if you have to look at a wide receiver or a running back who's a bit of a, a boomer bust prospect heading into the week, you might have to try to take that chance. Because with Alvin Kamara, while you cannot bench him because he's Alvin Kamara, and if he gets 15 touches, then you're, you're golden. Whether they come in carry form or receiving form, because he's Alvin Kamara, he can still give you a great week. You can't bench this guy, so you have to take other chances that you maybe you wouldn't have in other positions throughout your lineup. So roster construction becomes key around an Alvin Kamara right now. But unfortunately, we have to view it in the sense of you are not going to have a high floor until Drew Brees comes back. And when it, when it comes to Drew Brees, while I believe he is eligible to return off of IR next week, I believe it is, I don't know that he comes back next week with the amount of rib damage that he sustained and had the punctured lung and the fact that the Saints right now are the number one seed in the NFC. 
meaning they're in prime spot for the playoffs, I don't see why that they would push to bring Drew Brees back before he's ready, and maybe even then some. They know that they need Brees in the playoff run to have a chance at an actual Super Bowl uh, shot. In order to do that, you have to make sure he's 100% healthy. And because they've still been winning games with Taysom Hill, and I don't see why they wouldn't be able to win another game this week against Atlanta with Taysom Hill again, I don't see the reason why they would rush Drew Brees back, which just means more negative negative for Alma Kamara. Because now, all of a sudden, this might last the entire playoff run, where you're going to have to sit there and view Alma Kamara dare I say it, as a low-end RB2 and nothing more than that, I do believe, this is my one caveat when it comes to Kamara right now, I do believe that as his toe injury gets better, because I do think that's a part of what's happening right now, They're part, partially he's not getting worked in the pass game, partially he's getting outworked by Latavius Murray in the carry range because he has a toe issue and they haven't needed him to win the past couple of weeks. As when his toe issue continues to get better, I do believe it will tip more in his favor, maybe a 55-45 split compared to Latavius Murray. While Taysom Hill is a pain when it comes to vulturing touchdowns at the red zone, I don't believe they're always going to run it in with Taysom Hill at the red zone either. I just look at the Patriots and Cam Newton. You know it's always a threat. It's always a possibility. But eventually they give a couple cracks to the running back. Eventually they're going to give a couple cracks to Alvin Kamara. And that's where you can't bench him. But he might just be a low-end RB2 until Drew Brees returns if Drew Brees returns in the regular season, or should I say before your championship weeks end, because maybe he comes back week 17 to get some work in, but maybe he doesn't come back before that. We'll have to wait and see. That's a lot of stuff that's up in the air right now, but I would look at Alvin Kamara as a low-end RB2 when you're putting your get of your roster construction and put that together accordingly based off of that expectation right now. Uh, going, again, going up against the Atlanta Falcons this week, they've been tough against the running back, so it's not a great matchup to begin with. I have Kamara ranked at 16 in hopes that he gets a little bit more of a carry load than he did a week ago, in hopes that it's a little bit more of a competitive game because the Atlanta Falcons will actually have a legitimate quarterback, presumably anyway, a li- knock on wood after last week, presumably will have a legitimate quarterback, and therefore the game itself will be much closer and they'll actually need to utilize Adam Kamara and his big game-making ability. So we'll see exactly what happens there, but you have to adjust your expectations when it comes to Alvin Kamara right now in order to put together a strong roster construction. When it comes to Michael Thomas, and we'll get to Taysom Hill in a second, when it comes to Michael Thomas, I do have him at wide receiver 10. Again, great match against the Atlanta Falcons. Always going to attack them on the perimeter. He had his best game of the year the first time around two weeks ago when they played the Falcons in that matchup. We do know that Taysom Hill is targeting Michael Thomas first and then everybody else when it comes to the passing game. It's going to be in a dome. It's not going to be in Denver. He's not going to have to play in the elements. I do believe he'll have a little bit more success throwing the football than he did last week. Something similar, closer to what we saw against Atlanta. And hopefully Hopefully, for Michael Thomas owners out there, we'll see him make little market improvements each week that he gets to start a little bit more and a little bit more. But what we did see is that when they were in New Orleans and they were in a dome, he was willing to take shots down the field. And I think that will help open up the offense to some degree. So Michael Thomas actually comes in at wide receiver 10 for me. So a low-end wide receiver 1. I think you can trust the target volume and you can trust the matchup for a very high floor here. And if he gets in the end zone, he will come through for you with a wide receiver one performance. So I have confidence playing Michael Thomas this week. Now let's go move into Taysom Hill and his and his value and what he's bringing to the table. I actually have him as a top five quarterback for this week. We cannot ignore the fact that he has rushed for four touchdowns in two starts. 
And we cannot ignore the fact that it seems like once they're inside the five-yard line, they have no problem running him into the line of scrimmage. They have no problem running him as a goal line back. And it's working. And that's where I do wonder with Alvin Kamara, will it stop soon or will they you know, move away from it altogether and try to give Alvin Kamara some chances? I think they will give Alvin Kamara some chances, but I, Taysom Hill being a goal line back is a real deal here. That power formation that the Saints have been utilizing is tough to stop. That's a lot of big boys on the line of scrimmage. They're firing off the ball. The one thing I have to say about the Saints all year long is that their offensive line has been able to move the line of scrimmage. No matter who they've been playing against, no matter what the situation is, they've been able to move that line of scrimmage. And when they go with that power formation at the goal line with Taysom Hill, who's clearly going to be the running back in that situation, it's a lot of big bodies they bring in for that. It's hard to stop right now. It really is. So Taysom Hill comes in as the top five quarterback because the idea of him not getting a rushing touchdown, I think it's more of a chance he gets rushing touchdowns than he does not pretty much every single week with the way this offense has been running. And Granted, again, against the Atlanta Falcons, will have a little bit more success throwing the football than he did against Denver a week ago. I got him as a top-five quarterback this week. I got him as a must-play again. He had a big week against them two weeks ago. He'll continue to be a QB1, at least in the conversation from a streaming territory, until Drew Brees returns, quite frankly, because the Saints actually have a pretty nice schedule the rest of the way through the fantasy playoffs as well. So you've been looking at quarterbacks. If he's still available, he's I know he's more than 50% owned on average right now, but there are still some leagues where he's out there. He's a definitely a top streaming quarterback to be able to go with who just has a high floor because of what he's going to give you with his legs. Now, there's one last guy that I do want to talk about when it comes to the New Orleans Saints, and that's Latavius Murray himself. And there's been a lot of questions, well, if there's going to be this 50-50 split between Murray and Kamara when it comes to the carries, and if they're going to be more of this power-running type of team, how does that affect Latavius Murray? Is he somebody who becomes a legitimate flex play here? Now, I know on paper he had that great game last week, over 100 yards, two touchdowns. It's going to be tempting to want to play him. Again, keep in mind, the Atlanta Falcons have been very good against the run all season long. They bottled up Josh Jacobs. They bottled up the Raiders last week. I expect them to be able to at least bottle up to some degree this rushing attack. Now, it's a little bit harder for defenses to really uh, keep efficiencies on the run games of the opponent down when the quarterback themselves are a pretty good runner. It, It opens other things up that wouldn't normally be there. So I do think the Saints will have more success running the football than the Raiders did a week ago. However, having said that, Latavius Murray, in my mind, is still more of a high-end handcuff, and only if you're in a desperate situation are you really looking to actually play Latavius Murray in the flex. Because outside of last week, he hadn't scored since I believe it was very early on in the season. and Within the first couple of weeks is the last time he had scored. Leading up to that point, he's been hovering around the 15-carry, 50-70 to yard mark. And while the 15 carries goes, hey, there's a lot of running backs out there you like to play for the 15 carries, it's also that they're combining with their passing ability. And while Alvin Kamara is not involved in the passing game right now, well, Latavius Murray hasn't been involved in the passing game all season long. So, no, I'm not looking to play Latavius Murray in my flex. You're only hoping for a floor in that situation. He hasn't scored very often this year. And like I said, with Alvin Kamara, as that toe continues to get a little bit better, I do think you'll see the flip where Kamara will start to outwork Latavius Murray with the carry load, especially if Taysom Hill continues to be the starting quarterback. So that's where I'm at when it comes to Latavius Murray. I have him ranked at 40th. Uh, to me, that should be outside the flex zone of what you're considering, especially in an important week like a Week 13 here. 
Let's move into the Atlanta Falcons side of the ball. There's not a lot of guys that I feel good about when you're talking about the Atlanta Falcons. This Saints defense, and you could throw away last week. I know last week Denver didn't have a legitimate quarterback. Take everything you saw in that game and throw it away. You can look to the previous two to three games before that. The Saints defense is back to being what we expected the Saints defense to be all along, which is a top-notch defense, an aggressive, flying-around, turnover sacking machine of a defense. So not only have they become a top play if you've been, you know, playing defenses in your leagues, they would also become somebody who you can ride through the fantasy playoffs that defense. And when it comes to the Atlanta Falcons, I don't feel good about a lot of their weapons. Julio Jones, we don't know when he's going to come back. He might be back this week. He did practice in a limited capacity yesterday, he, but he also practiced in a limited capacity on Wednesday and Thursday of last week before ultimately being ruled out and not practicing at all on Friday. And when you look at it, Marshawn Lattimore should be back hopefully this week, I think, or I believe he came back a little bit last week, but he should be back this week. And then all of a sudden you have that matchup combined with a Saints defense that has its full pass rush again. Malcolm Jenkins is playing much better within the confines of that defense. The scheme has adjusted to some degree. Dennis Allen is being aggressive again. This defense is legit the rest of the way. This is not a defense you want to attack. They were always a hard defense to run against. So you're not going to want to play Todd Gurley this week if you can at all help it. I have him at RB26, so a a higher-end RB3, only because we know that if they do get inside the goal line, he will still get his opportunities. But he's completely touched on our bus as a flex position with a very low floor. So if I could help it, I would probably try to steer away from Todd Gurley if I can. Still comes in at 26, and that's more of a testament because of you may not have a better option. And there aren't too many guys out there who have better ability when it comes to scoring touchdowns. And this is also all of he plays. He did practice in a limited capacity yesterday, which is more of an improvement than what he was able to do last week, which he didn't really practice at all last week. So we're leaning more towards feeling good about Todd Gurley coming back this week, where Julio, we're still very much in wait or see mode. But then you have Calvin Ridley, who you have to play. I mean, you have to play Julio. You have to play Calvin Ridley if, if, they're, if they're good to go. Calvin And Calvin Ridley should be good to go. Wide receiver, 18. He's going to be the one guy who has a bit of a mismatch on the other side of Marshawn Latham, on the other side of the secondary. But again, with the way Matt Ryan has been playing, with the way that offensive line has been playing, mixed with the pass rush of the Saints finally being healthy, this could, again, kind of play out very similar to what we saw the first time around against the Atlanta Falcons two weeks ago. Now, here's what we do know about all that. The Atlanta Falcons, this individual opponent matchup usually they'll make adjustments and no matter how bad the Falcons are playing and no matter how good the Saints are that second game around they'll usually find a way to be more competitive and to make their adjustments and this one's in Atlanta rather than New Orleans having said all that I don't know what about the Atlanta Falcons gives you any kind of confidence right now and even if Julio Jones is out there and he did get hurt during that Saints game but even if he is out there, I still don't trust the amount of time Matt Ryan's going to have to throw from the pocket. I just simply don't. I don't even have Matt Ryan as a streaming option for this week against the New Orleans Saints because of how that Saints defense has been playing. So basically, at the end of the day, if you have Julio Jones, you have to play him. If you have Calvin Ridley, you have to play him. And I would play Hayden Hurst because he continues to have a high floor because of the volume he's been seeing. He's consistently been seeing six to eight targets pretty much every single game 
uh, since I think believe a month and a half ago. So the last six weeks, he's been seeing six plus targets each game. That kind of a floor is something you just can't find amongst tight ends right now. So while I don't love the matchup against the Saints here, why I'm a little bit worried about what the Atlanta offense in general is going to be able to do on a consistent basis throughout this game, I do think you have to play Hayden Hurst because you're not finding a better floor out of a lot of tight ends right now if that's what you've been having at the tight end position. We'll keep you up to date on Julio Jones and Todd Gurley throughout the week. Make sure you're following us on social media at Show. All right, now let's move into our next matchup. We have the Detroit Lions, Chicago Bears, Matt Patricia, gone, baby. Finally out of here. One of the coaches I could not wait to see be on the blip, out of the league, Hope he never comes back. He'll probably knowing you know how these Patriot coaches work. He'll probably come back as a defensive coordinator for New England Patriots. Whatever, as long as he never has to get another head coaching job, I'm fine with that. He was as much as I hate Adam Gase. I do believe that Matt Patricia was the douches of all douches when it came to the coaching staff and having to watch his ugly mug on that sideline and his demeanor all throughout. And what I love, what I loved about this was that as soon as he was fired, the amount of current and ex-Lions players that came out on social media in pretty much a collective rejoice. You would have thought the empire had fallen when Matt Patricia got fired with all these ex-Lion players all talking. And Darius Slay talking about it. I was like, oh, I thought I was the problem. And all of a sudden, the mood of Kenny Galladay and him signing a contract extension with Detroit did a complete 180 where it didn't seem like it was actually on the table to now, like, not only do I want to get back and play before the season is over, even though there's nothing on the line, there's actually a good chance Kenny Galladay will re-sign with the Detroit Lions now. That's how bad it was with Matt Patricia as head coach. Everyone clearly in that locker room did not like that man. So that's what I thought was hilarious about the whole thing. Glad to see him gone. But what does that mean from a fantasy standpoint? Well, Bevel's already kind of come out and said that they want to try to mix things up And basically knowing that they're not really in the playoffs and knowing that while he's the interim head coach, he's probably not going to be the head coach. He probably won't be on the staff come next year when they go to hire whoever they're going to hire because that's usually how things work. His big thing is that, you know what, we want to have some fun the rest of the way. We want to get creative the rest of the way. That's why I really like what this Lions offense might be able to do. Now, unfortunately, on the Kenny Galladay side of things, he still did not practice yesterday. It's still sounding to me, from what I've gathered, especially following uh, Dave Burkett, which if you don't, he's a great follower for the Detroit Lions and a friend of the show. He's been on the show a couple times now. He came out, and from what I could tell with the information that we were getting from him is that it doesn't sound like this week is really in the cards, but next week legitimately might be. And him coming back before this season is over is definitely the plan for not just the Detroit Lions, but for Kenny Galladay himself as well. We've been waiting a long time for Galladay to be able to get back from this hip issue. Kept thinking it was a weekly thing. He never got sent to the IR, but at this point, he probably should have now when you look back on it because he would have been out for those three weeks and just rested. But the idea is Galladay will come back, might be back just in time for your fantasy playoffs. So something to kind of keep in mind. But I do believe when he comes back, he's going to come back to a much better situation. I think you're going to see the Detroit Lions get much more aggressive offensively. You're not going to see this three-man rotation at the running back situation. You're not going to see this overall conservative play-not-to-lose philosophy that all New England Patriot coaches try to instill into their teams when they leave Bill Belichick, who's really the only one who can actually do that on a consistent basis and win in the NFL. No, you're going to see a team that wants to come out, be aggressive, play much looser. 
which is why not this week because Galladay's not back and because they're playing the Chicago Bears, but I do believe Matthew Stafford is somebody that we're going to see Take a little bit of an uptick in his production. Take a little bit of an uptick in his overall play. And maybe a streamer for you to keep your eyes on when it comes to the fantasy football playoffs. I truly believe that. I think you're going to see Marvin Jones take a little bit of a step up. You're going to see DeAndre Swift become even more of a bell cow the rest of the way. Now, as far as DeAndre Swift goes, he is still working through the concussion protocol. We were hoping that he would be coming out of it and that we'd see him practice more in a limited capacity. I believe he did get listed as limited on Wednesday, which is a good sign. Uh, moving through the week, but coming out this morning, they did say he's still in the concussion protocol, so we're still going to have to watch DeAndre Swift pretty closely. Now, this is a great matchup anyway. I think if you own DeAndre Swift and your playoff, your fantasy playoff bound, I think you'd be okay with him missing this matchup and making sure he's coming back fully healthy for Week 14. Although, on the flip side of that, if you need to win this week to get in and you need DeAndre Swift back even against Chicago, then you need DeAndre Swift back. So, we're going to see exactly what happens here. He's still in concussion protocol, but he was able to make a limited appearance yesterday, which usually bodes well following down for the week. As far as Marvin Jones goes, right now I do have Kenny Galladay ranked. I have him ranked at 22, so I have him as a low-end wide receiver, too. Once Galladay gets ruled out, if that winds up being the case, Marvin Jones would go from being wide receiver 47 in my book to sliding into that wide receiver 3 position. Again, the Chicago Bears defense is not a defense I want to attack. I know the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers put up four passing touchdowns on them the other week. Aaron Rodgers is playing on an MVP like level this week. I'm willing to throw that game out for the Chicago Bears defense, quite frankly, uh, when it comes to examining what you're going to get, what kind of expectations you can have when playing against them. For the most part, they've been pretty shut down. They haven't been a defense that you really want to attack, whether it be on the ground or through the air, especially when you've been an average offense for most of it. We'll see exactly what happens. This game for me, for the Detroit Lions, and if I am uh, if I own any pieces to this on my fantasy lineups, I'm more looking forward to this week to see how they play, to see how aggressive they are. What kind of schemes are they going to call? What's different about this team now that Matt Patricia is gone? That's more what I'm going to be looking for. We saw that in Houston where they became a little bit more aggressive. They became more efficient. They had guys playing more in their natural roles and setting up guys in better positions to perform. Deshaun Watson's actually played well since then. Brandon Cooks finally got involved in the offense after Bill O'Brien left. Things of that nature. Will that happen with the Detroit Lions? I think that's what we have our eyes on. That's where I'm going to be interested in watching this game, but I'm not going to necessarily want to have to play any Detroit Lions against the Chicago defense, at least not for this week anyway. DeAndre Swift does play. I have him as an RB3. I have him as a flex option. There's just a lower ceiling that comes with him, but if he is in there, I expect to be the bell cow, so that's why he definitely still gets a decent floor. And if Akeem Hicks can't go, then that opens up some extra things that maybe wouldn't normally be there for the running back position when you're going up against Chicago Bears from a fantasy standpoint. Now, let's flip things over to the Chicago side, which you know, there's some storylines here that are pretty interesting in their own right. You have Mitchell Trubisky coming in. He's going to be a streaming quarterback this week, believe it or not. He was a streaming quarterback last week. Even with all those turnovers, he still had a decent stat line at the end of the day. And this Chicago Bears offense as a whole, and I've been saying this for a while now, is better with Mitchell Trubisky than it is with Nick Foles. Nick Foles offers you nothing right now. This, Nick Foles is just a quarterback who drops back to pass. He's throwing off his back foot every single play. Their offense literally could not move the ball at all with Nick Foles back there. Now, while Trubisky himself is a turnover-prone machine and is not very good, and I'm not saying he's a huge upgrade, the fact that you can utilize his mobility, you can run RPO, opens things up for David Montgomery, which we saw last week against the Green Bay Packers. Finally went over 100 yards. And get this, it was only on 11 carries. 
scored a touchdown in the receiving game. Yeah, I believe he had five catches, 40 yards, and a touchdown in that game. It opened things up for David Montgomery that we haven't really seen much this season. It opened things up for Allen Robinson, who got featured more. Here's the other big twist for the Chicago Bears, and I don't know if anybody else has been paying attention to this, but Matt Nagy's not the one calling plays over the past couple of weeks. It's been Bill Lazor. As a result of that, Allen Robinson's getting moved from the slot. He's getting moved to the perimeter. They're featuring him. And with Mitchell Trubisky, he's got two touchdowns last week. He'll target the crap out of Allen Robinson and come the hell with everybody else. That's why we might have to move off of Jimmy Graham because Cole Komet played a lot more last week, and that might continue as the season goes on because Cole Komet's definitely the future while Jimmy Graham will probably be off the team after this year. So you, I don't think you can stream Jimmy Graham as a, as a guy anymore, and that, that's more to do with the play going on between him and Cole Komet and the snap share there. But Trubisky opens things up for David Montgomery, opens things up for Allen Robinson. David Montgomery is a high-end RB2 who I think has a hell of a ceiling this week. Going up against another terrible run defense in the Detroit Lions, they just had to put Danny Shelton on the IR. So if you already thought that they had a terrible run defense, and they did, they just put their best run stopper on the IR on top of it. So the openings should be there. Trubisky has been named the starter. They will run the RPO action again. And Trubisky actually has a history of playing very well against the Detroit Lions, which is why he in and of himself comes in at QB 12 for me. I feel very, very shaky about saying that. I don't, it's not something I want to boast about. Like, ooh, I have Mr. Trubisky at QB 12. Look at me. No, no, no. It's something I want to be like, I have him at 12. Please don't pay attention any further to me. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. But when you break down his mobility, when you break down the matchup, when you break down his history against the Detroit Lions, you break all those things down, you get a guy who should be a streaming option for you at the quarterback position, given this offense, given this matchup. It's crazy to think, but that's that's kind of where we're at now. I have him as QB 12 heading into this week, just given all those things. Uh, I do want to hit the breaking news sounder a little bit, even though we haven't talked about this game yet, but it's very important. People are looking for uh, updates on this player. Breaking news. Daniel Jones is warming up at practice. It looks like he actually might be able to go at least enough to be a limited participant. So this actually goes far into what the Giants seemed like they were holding out optimism for the entire time, which is Daniel Jones being able to play this Sunday. So we'll talk once we get to that game, we'll talk about that and what our expectations are. Uh, that pretty much wraps it up for the Bears and what to expect there. Montgomery Robinson playing with confidence. If you're feeling ballsy enough, Mitchell Trubisky can be a streaming option for you, depending on what you're looking at at the quarterback position. We have the Bucks on by. We have the Carolina on by. So there might be some situations out there where you're looking for some quarterbacks that you wouldn't normally be looking for uh, this particular week. We move into our next matchup between the Cleveland Browns and the Tennessee Titans. And I'm first going to lead off with talking about the wide receivers for the Cleveland Browns, because we know what the deal is with Nick Chubb. And, and Kareem Hunt. Nick Chubb's an RB1. Kareem Hunt's an RB2. I know Kareem Hunt didn't have a great performance last week, but that was by far his worst performance with Nick Chubb that has been all season long. He's still getting a lot of red zone work. I know Nick Chubb was the one who came away with the touchdown, but Kareem Hunt, in the previous two red zone uh, t- drives that they were in before Nick Chubb got that touchdown last Sunday, it was Kareem Hunt who was in there. It wasn't Nick Chubb. So, He's still in position to get plenty of good opportunities. It's another good matchup against Tennessee. You're playing Kareem Hunt as an RB2. Don't worry about it there. Uh, And obviously, Nick Chubb's an RB1. So what we really want to talk about is Jarvis Landry and whether or not Jarvis Landry's performance last week should give you confidence to be able to play him again. I have Jarvis Landry ranked at wide receiver 28. 
I talked about this last week. That by far is going to wind up being his best performance of the season. Was his best performance of the season, will be his best performance of the season. That does not mean, however, that he doesn't have fantasy value the rest of the way. Now, we talked about this before. The targets, since OBJ has been out, have been there. He's been clear-cut the target, number one targeted guy. But because of weather, a lot, mostly due to weather issues when they've been home, plus the fact that they can run the ball, has combined into Jarvis Landry, even though he's being the lead targeted wide receiver, doesn't necessarily mean a lot of production, especially when you're talking about Baker Mayfield throwing the ball 18 to 20 times. And that's about it. Now, against Tennessee, it's going to be a little bit different. Tennessee's going to put up points on the Cleveland Browns. I know Miles Garrett's supposed to be back, but there's still no Denzel Ward. Tennessee's going to put up points on the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are going to have to be a little bit more aggressive through the air. And the Tennessee defense hasn't been very good. It's a good matchup for Jarvis Landry here. That's why I have met wide receiver 28. There is a floor here. When you're talking about half point and full point PPR leagues and half point especially, because that's what we're going off of when we're talking about where I have guys ranked at, he should get... 8 to 10 targets minimum in this game. And he could actually see more than that, quite frankly, given the makeup of this overall offense and how they're going to have to move the ball. This is a game where you're going to see Baker Mayfield throw closer to the high 20s, low 30s area, which will open up double-digit targets for Jarvis Landry and give him that high floor that they're going to have to lean on him for. So I do believe Jarvis Landry can be a higher-end wide receiver 3 heading into your matchups this week, and you can play him with some confidence. Don't expect the performance that you had last week, but you can play him with the idea that he'll give you a high floor, and because there aren't really too many options at the wide receiver position, he has a little bit better of a chance to score than he normally would what you would normally think for a Jarvis Landry. So just kind of keep that in mind there. Austin Hooper also comes in at tight end 10 for us this week. Uh, so he's definitely a streaming option. He had the touchdown last week. They are utilizing him more in the red zone area, which automatically makes you a, a candidate for top 10 tight end positioning. I'm still not big on his overall floor. You take the touchdowns away. He comes nothing more than you know all the other tight end 20s out there. But... He has been getting utilized in the red zone. The targets have been there. The offense has been there, especially since Nick Chubb has been back. Austin Hooper is a streaming option for you this week. We flip things over to the Tennessee Titans side of the ball. Outside of Derrick Henry being my RB2 on the week, and that's only because Dalvin Cook is playing Jacksonville, let's talk about the other options. Let's talk about a more interesting option, Janu Smith. Because after last week, zero targets, zero opportunities, totally understandable. I get it if everybody and their mom wanted to move on from Janu Smith. But that's coming off of a game where he had six targets the previous week and actually looked like he was back in the streaming territory. You're playing as the Cleveland Browns, who have not been very good against the tight ends all season long. I know Janu Smith, his target share since the beginning of the season has drastically dropped, mostly since A.J. Brown has returned but he has as good of a chance to score a touchdown as any other tight end out there in this matchup. And while he maybe doesn't have the same floor as, let's say, a Hayden Hurst type, and that's why I have Hayden Hurst ranked higher, he still has as much of a ceiling as anybody else. And I don't know what other options you have out there. I, Typically speaking, when it comes to the tight end position, if it's a decent matchup, I will go for the guys that I know at least are more talented. I know Janu Smith is more talented than a lot of guys out there. I have him hovering around the tight end, the low end tight end one. I still believe, even coming off of a week where he wasn't targeted, that he's a streaming option in this matchup. Again, you can look at that as being more of a comment on the tight end landscape. I don't care how you look at it. The fact is, in this matchup with Janu Smith's talent, he has to be looked at as a streaming tight end option. I wouldn't just completely steer away from him 
altogether based on the performance of last week. So that's more the point that I want to make there. He can still be an option for you. Ryan Tannehill, QB6 for me this week. Top quarterback option. He's finally, and I've been talking about this for a while too, he's, been, he's finally passed that rough area of his schedule. Finally. And, and we knew it was going to look ugly. And is he the same Ryan Tannehill from last year? Maybe not quite to that level. But now we're getting into the part of the season where Derrick Henry starts to play better. And we're also getting to the part of the season where I don't know if there's another team out there that has a better schedule rest of the way for your fantasy football playoffs than the Tennessee Titans do. Ryan Tannehill is going to be a guy who's going to be hovering around, maybe not in, but around that top five quarterback position for the rest of the season. And I have a QB6 going into this week. The Cleveland Browns don Denzel Ward. That secondary is very vulnerable. And even with Miles Garrett back, they still should be able to run the ball with Derrick Henry. That's going to be the key ingredient for them. And as long as A.J. Brown's able to stay healthy and Corey Davis is able to keep up the level of play he's had so far this season, an argument could be made that Ryan Tannehill's in a better situation this year than he was last year. Ryan Tannehill, QB6 for me this week will be a solid QB1 for me the rest of the season. So if you're somebody who's looking for a quarterback uh, who you want to lean on for the fantasy playoffs, you've been streaming him, Ryan Tannehill is the guy you want, without a doubt. He had a decent performance last week against the Indianapolis Colts, and that was the last tough game that they had for the rest of the year. So I want to make that point clear on Ryan Tannehill. He's going to be a league winner in the fantasy playoffs with the way this schedule sets up, and I still believe in what he can do within the confines of this offense in particular. A.J. Brown comes in at wide receiver 15 for me this week. It should be no surprise there that he's a high-end wide receiver too, a guy who definitely has low-end wide receiver one capabilities. We all know what he's capable of when getting the big play. And Corey Davis is a wide receiver three for me this week, coming at wide receiver 32. And frankly, that might be a little bit too low, honestly. Uh, he might he might even be, he, he should maybe even be ranked a little bit higher than that. He has a really good floor. Again, a nice matchup here against the Cleveland Browns. I do believe Tennessee is going to have to lean on their passing attack a little bit more uh, in this game, be a little bit more aggressive. And I believe it's going to set up for them to be able to do so off of play action with Derrick Henry. So I think Corey Davis is somebody you can play with confidence as well heading into this game. I love all Tennessee Titans, really, the rest of the way. What we're going to do now, we're going to take a quick break. We still have a lot more games to get to on the other side. Of course, a mailbag segment for you guys at the end. So stay tuned here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the show, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, also available to you on your Android apps, or if you have iOS, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We've been going over some of the early window of Week 13 matchup games in today's show, like we always do every Thursday from 12 to 1.30 here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll be back again tomorrow with the late window matchups for week 13 from 12 to 1.30. Again, same time, same place. Of course, we won't have the Thursday night recap to talk about because there is no Thursday night game. So, Guys, sit back and you know actually watch some college basketball. I was watching some last night, and that was that was actually enjoyable to watch another sport out there. The NBA is back around soon, so the good news is even when the football season comes to a close, we're still going to have some sports that we're going to be able to sink our teeth into. Because after after last year, man, who not having sports for months. There was a big void, I believe, in my life and a lot of people's lives out there. So it's good to see sports coming back little by little. 
in all different forms for us to be able to enjoy. But of course, we're right in the nitty gritty of our fantasy football playoff races. This is the last week for a lot of people to be able to get in. We're all trying to make playoff contingencies and roster constructions and and think about the future. Think about weeks 14, 15, 16. And I know I mention that a lot and a lot of shows do only 14, 15, 16. But I understand that there are some amateur hour leagues out there that will play into week 17 and will have their championship championships decided on a week that they should never have them decided because it's weeks that you could have your studs sitting in the second half or sitting for the game depending on whether that team's at in their playoff hunts if they have things locked up or not it's why I call you the amateur hour league but don't worry the MD's fantasy football show will be here for you as well we'll have shows all the way into week 17 like we normally would to help you guys out all the way through make sure you follow us on, on social media at belly up MDFF show for the player news update notifications that continually come out every single day of the week. So let's continue on here with our previews. We got the Cincinnati Bengals up next, the Miami Dolphins in this matchup here. We'll start off with the Dolphins side of the ball because that's really where you're going to want to attack from a fantasy perspective. Now, from what I understand, Tua Tagovailoa was limited yesterday. Uh, he was sounds like he's going to be limited again today. They're hoping he gets a full practice in before he actually plays. But at first, when this week first opened up, it sounded like Tua was definitely going to miss this week, and it was going to be at least one more week of Ryan Fitzpatrick because they weren't going to want to push it. And they came out again today and reinforced the idea that if Tua is not 100%, that they will not go that route. They will go to Ryan Fitzpatrick for this matchup. So this is still very, very much up in the air. If Fitzpatrick plays, he's a streaming option for this week. Tua, not so much. Uh, and those rankings will be updated on bellyupfantasysports.com for you guys all throughout the week, all throughout the weekend to reflect exactly what's going on, where these guys' value changes throughout the week. But right now, I would have Ryan Spatrick as a guy that you can possibly stream. It's a great match against Cincinnati Bengals. We know that he'll be aggressive. We know that with Devontae Parker, it's a match they should be able to take advantage of. But we don't know who the quarterback is going to be right now. I say it's a, it's a it feels like it's a very 50-50 shot between Tua and Ryan Spatrick heading into this week. And that leaves the rest of the value for the Miami Dolphins, quite frankly, in flux. If it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, I believe Devontae Parker could be a low-end wide receiver one. Because he gets targeted more, he gives more opportunities for 50-50 chances for him to make big plays when Fitzpatrick is there at quarterback. When it's to attack Lavoa, he's still the number one targeted pass catcher, but it's not as at high of a clip as it is with Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's not as many chances down the field. There's not as many shots to him for big plays. It's red zone targets and Tua trying to play it safe. There's a clear philosophical difference in the Miami Dolphins' offensive play calling depending on whether it's Tua at quarterback or whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. And to some degree, it's not surprising because Tua is a rookie. You want to protect the rookie, but most importantly, the rookie has more of an emphasis in their mind to protect the football. And they don't want to turn the ball over a lot as a result of that. So he's not going to take as many chances down the field, which greatly hinders Devontae Parker's value. Parker becomes a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three, who's touchdown dependent if Tua Tagovailoa comes in and plays. And that's just in general. I guess Cincinnati Bengals is a little bit better of a matchup. He's a little bit of a higher floor than that, where you can be more of a solid wide receiver two, even with Tua playing. But just in general, that's what his value is when Tua is the quarterback. But when Ryan Spatrick comes in, 
all of a sudden now you're talking about a low end, a high end wide receiver two who has low end wide receiver one potential because of the way he gets targeted because of the big plays that he gets put in position to go get with Fitzpatrick at quarterback. So that's the difference between those two when it affects guys like Devontae Parker. Same thing kind of applies for Mike Gesicki. Mike Gesicki can be a streaming tight end, especially in Cincinnati Bengals, who are the worst defense against the tight ends this year, if Fitzpatrick is playing. If two is playing, I don't want to touch Mike Gesicki with a 10-foot pole uh, because he needs Ryan Fitzpatrick. He needs the guy who's going to give him 50-50 shots down the field and more 50-50 shots in the red zone, especially for him to have value because Mike Gesicki hasn't been very good this year, plain and simple. He just hasn't. He didn't have that big sleeper breakout year that a lot of people, not this show, not myself, but a lot of people thought he was going to have. It just didn't happen. And part of that has to do with the way they're targeting. Part of that has to do with the fact that Chan Gailey doesn't doesn't focus in on the tight end. I don't know how many ways to say that. I felt like it was a broken record in the offseason and nobody wanted to listen to me. He does not utilize the tight end position. But if Fitzpatrick's in there, because we still have no Preston Williams, Mike Gesicki will get opportunities in the red zone as well and become a streaming option. Otherwise, with Tua, he's not somebody who I'm looking at. I'd rather play a Janu Smith than a Mike Gesicki if it's going to be Tua Tagalavoa, just to kind of give you a for instance there. So things to kind of keep in consideration. How does that affect the running games? The running games actually, I think, don't get affected too much one way or another. Here's what we, here's more of what the news we have to focus in on when it comes to that. Sabin Ahmed and Miles Gaskin are looking like they're both going to be available this week. They've talked about this leading into this week, the Dolphins coaching staff, that is, that we would see a committee approach between those two players when they are both healthy and out on the field. Meaning, they're both hovering around that RB3 territory. Because we don't know exactly what the rotation was going to be. We haven't seen these two be healthy on the field at the same time yet this season for the Miami Dolphins. Miles Gaskin, presumably, will get a little bit more work, especially in the passing game. But I believe Ahmed would be the guy who would get more of the work in the goal line situations and have more of an opportunity to score touchdowns. And I do believe it will be something close to a 55-45 split when it comes to the carries. And maybe a 60-40-65-35 split when it comes to receptions in favor of Miles Gaskin. So those are the things that you're looking at when it comes to these players. It makes them both RB3s in this match against the Cincinnati Bengals. And that's the one position, though, that whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick or whether it's Tua Tagovailoa, that's a split that I would expect to see between the two running backs. Now, if Tua, the only difference is if Tua plays, they might try to run the ball a little bit more. Because, like I said, in general, their, their philosophical difference is they'll be a little bit more conservative with Tua in the game. If Ryan Fitzpatrick is in there, they might throw the ball a little bit more. So you might have a little bit uh, more opportunities or less opportunities there, give or take. But I don't expect it to be a drastic difference where I would be valuing them much different than I already do, which is at the RB3, the flex consideration there, depending on what kind of options you have. You do like the matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, let's talk about the Bengals for half a second here. Talk about the demise that is the Cincinnati Bengals since Joe Burrow left. And I know it's only been one game, but we just we knew this was going to be bad. Let's look at the let's look at the silver lining part of this first, because we all we all know what the bad news is. The bad news is that everyone kind of takes a tumble to some degree with no Joe Burrow. Let's look at the silver lining though. The silver lining is we saw T. Higgins be able to score a touchdown last week. We saw Brandon Allen kind of do something similar to what he did with the Denver Broncos in the three games that he started last season, which is not be very good for one. But two, he will still take shots to the perimeter wide receiver, which is why I do believe that Brandon Allen 
was a better quarterback for this team to go with over Ryan Finley. Because with Ryan Finley, everything would be at the line of scrimmage. Everything would be a check down. At least with Brandon Allen, they can still somewhat pose the threat that they will be aggressive on the outside to at least some degree. Now, you could say this as a Tyler Boyd owner, you would rather see Ryan Finley in there because that would have meant more targets for him. That would have meant more targets for Giovanni Bernard coming out of the backfield. But if you have T. Higgins, Brandon Allen being the guy, at least gives you a shot to still play him. Ultimately speaking here, again, not a good match against the Miami Dolphins defense. It's a good secondary. It's a good defense in general. Giovanni Bernard, RB3. In my book, he has not been very good. He hasn't been he hasn't been giving you the floor that you need him to give you in the passing game. And because guys like Samaja Perrine have had to be more involved for what reason I do not know, and because overall this offense without Joe Burrow is just not going to be in many opportunities to be able to score in general, Bernard just has not a very high ceiling, a very limited ceiling. And because he's not getting the normal five to seven targets in the receiving game that you would expect a guy like a Giovanni Bernard to have, especially as the starting running back, he doesn't have the same floor that you would normally hope for out of him. So he's somebody who's an RB3 for me in this situation. And then when you talk about Tyler Boyd, when you talk about T. Higgins, I have them ranked right next to each other at wide receiver threes. Tyler Boyd at wide receiver 30, T. Higgins at wide receiver 31. The only difference between the two of them, in my mind, is that there should be more targets allocated for Tyler Boyd. Not much, though. They could be wide receiver threes in this matchup, but they have, again, limited ceilings because of the limited capacity that this offense is going to have without Joe Burrow. Plain and simple. So you still have to roster them. If if you're looking at it from that angle, like do you have to roster any of these guys? Yeah, you still have to roster them. Still have to roster Higgins. Still have to roster Boyd. And if you're Joe Mixon owner, you still have to roster a Bernard because you have to have an option available to you. But if you need bigger ceilings, I'm looking elsewhere throughout my lineups. As far as Joe Mixon goes, I've been getting a lot of questions about Joe Mixon, rightfully so. The idea was always this when he went on the IR, that week 14 he'd be eligible to come off the IR and that that he needed 100% rest for this foot issue that he's dealing with to be able to come back. And that the game plan was that the end of the IR stretch from insiders who know more about the team, cover the team inside and out, that I the information I was getting from, the idea was that week 14 he would come back and play. That Not only does Joe Mixon want to come back into play, but Zach Taylor, who is now in a position he's coaching for his job because of this anemic offense, and he's supposed to be this offensive guru. Now, part of it is because of Joe Burrow being out, but still, they, were, they weren't a very good team, even with Joe Burrow at the helm. They have to think about exactly what's best for this team's future. Now they know that they have their franchise quarterback. Zach Taylor has to prove something as a head coach. So he has more of an emphasis and more of a motivation now to be able to get Joe Mixon back so he can create something offensively. I mean, we saw last year, even with them going back and forth between Andy Dalton and Ryan Finley, when they decided they're just going to give the ball to Joe Mixon over and over and over again, they were still able to do something offensively. And Joe Mixon was still able to be an RB1, even with no real downfield threat uh, from a year ago they have more weapons now than they did last year even without Joe Burrow so the idea is that there is motivation there for Joe Mixon to come back and play this season there is motivation there and the idea was when he went on the IR he would come back for week 14 that would be the best case scenario because then if you're somebody who's able to make the playoffs with Joe Mixon on your on your IR you might have him for the first round that's been the idea that's what I've been told however and I think we can all understand this at this point 
with Joe Mixon, we've been told a lot of things so far this season since this injury has taken place, and not once has it actually played out in a positive light. So you have to take it with a grain of salt, but that was the idea and the information that I had on the situation. We'll know a lot more next week when it comes to Joe Mixon. We're not going to find out too much more this particular week, but that's my Joe Mixon update for you guys out there who are wondering that. Let's dive into the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Minnesota Vikings. We'll start off on the Jaguars side of the ball. James Robinson, phenomenal. Top five running back for me this week. Good matchup against Minnesota. This guy is a beast. No matter who they're playing against, no matter how bad this Jacksonville offense is, he finds a way to get the job done, and he's getting more of a workload than really almost any other running back out there as far as his share opportunities comparative to the rest of his team, which is pretty much all of the running back work. There's nobody else even getting mixing in. He's not even getting breathers, and that's what's making James Robinson so great from a fantasy standpoint right now. So James Robinson, obviously a must-play. Got him as a top-five running back this week against the Minnesota Vikings. You like the matchup here. Let's talk about the wide receivers. We think DJ Chark is going to come back this week. That's what we are hoping for. The cards were playing out that way. What does that do for his value? Well, Mike Glennon actually played decently last week. Actually looked more of a competent quarterback than I think the Jaguars have probably had all season long. And it's just come from the fact that you have a guy who, one, has the arm strength to take shots down the field, and two, isn't afraid to take shots down the field and be aggressive off of play action and try to open this offense a little bit up. That means good things for James Robinson because now the safeties actually have to get out of the box to some degree. And it will mean really good things for DJ Chark if he's able to come back into the ball game. I believe he will be the number one target clear-headedly with Mike Glennon there at the quarterback position. And because Glenn's willing to take shots down the field, all of a sudden the Chark that we saw last year, who was a big play machine, I think has an opportunity to be that guy now with Mike Glennon at the starting quarterback position based on what we saw a week ago. Now it's just one game, and Mike Glenn has a history of being completely inconsistent. I'm not throwing that out the table at all in any capacity whatsoever. But right now, all you're focusing on is what can you get at a DJ Chark the rest of the way if you're a team heading for the playoffs? Is he somebody that you're even going to be able to consider? Because it hasn't been a very good season. What I'm telling you is that I think his ceiling took a big hit up with Mike Glenn at the quarterback position based on what we saw last week, what he, where he's looking to throw the football based on what we saw we could go without Chark in there. I do believe the ceiling may return for DJ Chark if Mike Glennon continues to be the starting quarterback and utilize play action and take shots down the field. I have Chark as a wide receiver 33 heading into this week. We still have to see exactly how he's going to be able to practice out, if he's going to be able to play. We'll keep you up to date on that at Belly Up MDFF Show. But I have hope for DJ Chark the rest of the way to actually be a utilized option for this fantasy team. So that's where I have some hope for you guys in that sense. Keelan Cole is wide receiver 38. If Chark comes back, Keelan Cole plays much better. He just can't be the wide receiver one. He can't be the focus point of the opponent's defense, but he can be a decent complement. He is a flex option based on the way he's played so far this season if Chark is back in the lineup, but not somebody that I'm looking to target for my fantasy teams. We switch things over to the Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins comes in QB 13 for us this week. He's played very well. He has streaming opportunity against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously, the matchup is great here. And while he hasn't been asked to throw the ball a ton, they have been a bit more aggressive off the play action. Dalvin Cook, they came out, you know, he's a little bit beat up. And you can see it on the field. He's not as explosive as he was when he came back from his injury 
and they were feeding him all the time, and he was just going for 15 you know, yard chunks. Pretty much, I felt like every time he was touching the football. But they've been able to play action off of that in recent weeks, get the passing game going again. Adam Thielen will be back this week, so he'll have his full plethora of weapons, especially when it comes to the red zone. It's not a big ceiling because Dalvin Cook, again, is in a situation where he could take over this game. We're going to talk about him a little bit more in detail, though, in a second. You can see the running game in general taking over this game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But the running game's been pretty good, and they've still been play-actioning off of that with Kirk Cousins, and he still had a pretty decent floor the past couple of weeks. So if you're looking at quarterback streamers, Kirk Cousins is right there. We got him in QB 13 this week, just outside of the QB 1's range. Now I want to dive into Dalvin Cook a little bit, and we'll talk about the wide receivers in a second. They've come out and said that he was, he's going to be a little bit limited, or they want to rest him up this week, I think was the actual quote. They want to rest him this week. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to play him this week, but what I do think it means is that we'll see him be limited in practice throughout the week, and I don't think he's going to be on tap to get his full plethora of opportunities on Sunday. I think we're going to see a little bit more of Alexander Madison. I think you're going to see Dalvin Cook start it. I think some of it's going to be dictated upon game flow. Like last week, we didn't expect the Jacksonville Jaguars to really be able to hang with the Cleveland Browns. If they hang with the Minnesota Vikings, I think they'll have to be forced into using Dalvin Cook maybe more than they necessarily want to heading into this game. But I think ideally they're looking at this as an opportunity to limit Dalvin Cook to say about 15, 16 touches and get Alexander Madison more involved. I think there's a real game plan for that to be the scenario. Again, GameScript could change that depending upon whether they're actually able to put the Jacksonville away or not. But if they have an opportunity to go up a couple touchdowns against Jacksonville in the second half, I don't think you see Dalvin Cook for the rest of the game. So there is that concern where Cook might not have the same ceiling that you would expect him to have, even though it's against Jacksonville. Now, you're playing Dalvin Cook. And I still have him ranked as my number one running back because it's Jacksonville Jaguars. He could take 16 touches, go for 140 yards, and a touchdown. That's just how good he is. That's how great the matchup is here. So you're not going to take away from that. But I'm just offering a word of caution for the Dalvin Cook owners out there this week that there does seem to be a plan in place to limit his workload, at least for this week. So just kind of keep that in mind when you're putting together your roster construction and you just have that adjusted in your mind for your lineups for this particular week. I believe it will be just this week, and they'll go back to him, but there does seem to be a game plan in place to not get him too beat up this particular week. As far as the wide receivers go, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson are must-plays. Got Thielen as a wide receiver one. I have Justin Jefferson as a wide receiver one. Both of these guys in this match against Jacksonville with the way Cousins has been playing as of lately with Minnesota Vikings offense in general being a little bit more aggressive with their passing attack as of late as well. I believe you're going to play both of these guys as wide receiver one potential candidates. Jefferson obviously a little bit more dependent on the big play. But with the way he's been playing lately, with the way Adam Thielen's been playing lately, there's no way you don't have both of these guys in your lineup with high expectations for them on top of all of it. Let's move on. Let's talk about the Jets and the Raiders this week. Let's start with the Raiders side of the ball. Josh Jacobs, limited in practice. Some concern about whether or not he's going to be able to play this week. I know the Raiders coaching staff has been very optimistic. I know that they came out and said the ankle sprain is not as bad as they thought it might be. And yes, because the Raiders lost the game last week to the Atlanta Falcons, they do have some weight on this game. You look at the New York Jets and say, well, you might be able to win this game without them. You know, how much... How much are you really going to have to need Josh Jacobs? How much are you going to want to play Josh Jacobs against the Jets in a game in which may not matter too much? But 
it actually matters quite a bit because after they lost the Atlanta Falcons next last week, they're still very much in the jambalaya of teams trying to make that last wild card spot. And therefore, there is some importance to make sure they win this game, which is why there is some motivation that if Josh Jacobs can go, that they might actually play him against the New York Jets. And I know Josh Jacobs' owners want nothing more than be able to play him in this match against the Jets in what could be a pivotal matchup for you in Week 13. Now, hopefully you heeded my advice from the waiver wire report on Tuesday when I told you guys that Devontae Booker needed to be your number one priority if you're a Jacobs owner and really even a top priority even if you're not. Because I do think there's a chance that if they feel like they can win this game without him, that they would like to rest Josh Jacobs, not force him to play him a week after he had an ankle sprain, even if it is just a mild one and a low ankle sprain, it doesn't matter. I think if they could get away without playing him, I think that's what they would prefer to do and have him healthy the rest of the way because if they do make the playoffs, you're going to need Josh Jacobs to have any chance to win. There's still a chance here that Booker winds up being the guy. Jacobs did not practice yesterday, so that also goes into it as well. We're going to have to wait to see how this whole thing plays out throughout the week, but Devontae Booker is somebody who has to be owned. Not only just for this week, but you if you have to own him throughout your playoff race, too, if you're a Josh Jacobs owner. I mean, there's no excuse for it at this point. We know Booker is the number one guy who's backing up Josh Jacobs. It's not Jalen Richard. Booker has been involved in the passing game. He's been the heavy bell cow when it comes to carries when Josh Jacobs has not been in there. And Jalen Richard himself hasn't even been active and won't be active for this week if Josh Jacobs cannot go. It will be all Devontae Booker's show against the New York Jets this particular week. So you hopefully heeded my advice because he was only five percent owned on average so he was widely available out there I haven't checked the numbers as of late to see where he's at now but make sure if you have Josh Jacobs you have Devontae Booker there's a chance you have Jacobs back but it's definitely not a certainty Jacobs I have him ranked as the top 10 running back as you would suspect against the New York Jets Booker will be a high-end RB2 if Jacobs cannot go without a doubt let's talk about the wide receivers Nelson Aguilar actually don't think practiced yesterday, but I don't think there's any real concern about him not being able to play this Sunday. I have him as wide receiver 20 heading into this matchup. It is the New York Jets. I expect Derek Carr and this Raiders offense in general to bounce back from what we saw last week against the Atlanta Falcons against the Jets here. They're going to take this opportunity, I believe, to try to get right. They're going to take their shots down the field. They're going to be a little bit more aggressive. And if you remember, Nelson Aguilar actually had a okay game considering the dismal performance of Derek Carr, the dismal performance of that team in general. He still walked away with about five catches and 54 yards, I believe it was. Nothing great, but the point is that even when that Raiders team completely fluttered and completely imploded, he was still decent, which means in a matchup in where they're actually competent again, like we saw against the Kansas City Chiefs, going up against the New York Jets, he could be pretty good, and he's still been mostly the big shot guy. He's still been the number one perimeter wide receiver for this team. Now, there did seem to be an emphasis last week to try to get Henry Ruggs back involved because he hasn't really been involved in the offense essentially at all this season, but really hasn't been involved since he came back off of injury. I mean, we're talking like one to two targets a game here. Last week was the first time in a while we saw him get five targets, and they tried to take their shots down the field to Henry Ruggs. It didn't work out, though. So I do wonder if that will change things and go back to Nelson Aguilar, which had been working, frankly, to this point. And then I don't know how much you want to move away with that with the way he's been playing. So I have Nelson Aguilar as a guy you can take a home run shot with as a top 20 wide receiver and feel pretty good about that. I have Hunter Renfro, who's a wide receiver three candidate. Again, the thing about Renfro is that he's very game script dependent. So he has come as a wide receiver three because the target share that he's had so far this season is the match against the New York Jets. But 
I don't know if I feel great about the game script heading into this game. Games in which the Raiders are far behind and they have to come back. That's when you'll see Hunter Renfro get a lot of his targets because that's when Derek Carr has to go, you know, shotgun every play. They have to pretty much turn into a pass only offense in that situation when they're down a couple of scores. And you'll see them check the ball down over and over and over again to Hunter Renfro. And that's when he kind of gobbles up his high floor performances, his opportunities for the most part. It's very game script dependent. I don't see that game script coming out in this game against the New York Jets. I don't see a scenario where the Jets are up a couple touchdowns come second half. So while Hunter Renfro is a wide receiver three, I do think there is a lower floor than you would normally expect. I think you can find somebody with a much higher ceiling heading into this week and a better option than a Hunter Renfro. But again, the opportunities have been there. I think the Raiders will be a little bit more aggressive. And if Josh Jacobs doesn't play, they'll probably throw the ball a little bit more than they normally would. Just all things to kind of consider heading into this week. Obviously, Darren Waller, top three tight end, will be a top three tight end the rest of the season and a must play every single week. And Derek Carr. I know a lot of people aren't going to want to stream Derek Carr after last week. I totally get it. But there's another scenario where sometimes you have to remember that the NFL is a week-to-week game and that against the New York Jets, in a game in which I would expect a bounce back to some degree, Derek Carr has to be considered a streaming option at the quarterback position. He's QB 14 for me this week. I understand if you don't want to trust it. I have other options out there for you that I think will be as widely available and don't have the same sour taste in your mouth that you would normally have, like a Kirk Cousins, who I've ranked at 13. Uh, But he has to be considered a streaming option depending upon what you have available to you. Remember, the NFL is a week-to-week game. Do not look at last week and say, I can't just play Derek Carr if he's your best option available to you in your leagues, depending on what's there. So that's just something I like to give a word of caution to. Nobody, don't overreact in one direction or another when it comes to any player out there for your fantasy lineups. Always be vigilant. Let's move into the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans, which will be the last game that we talk about for the early window of matchups before we get into our mailbag segments after the break. So we have the Colts, we have the Houston Texans, obviously great matchup for the Colts, right? Everyone gets a nice little boost, Houston Texans are terrible on defense, and yet we come back to the sad, sad fact that because of the way the Colts run their offense, because of the way Phillip Rivers targets his wide receivers, because of the way the coaching staff rotates the running backs, you get left with this very sour taste in your mouth of... Uh, who do I trust to actually get the football in a great match against the Houston Texans? Let's start with the obvious and Jonathan Taylor, which is what everybody wants to know about. Here is the positive side for Jonathan Taylor owners. Jordan Wilkins is banged up. Banged up enough where even if he plays, I don't know how active he would be. Which means Taylor should repeat what he did last week when he got the overwhelming, well, not last week, two weeks ago, excuse me, because last week he was out because he was a high contract for COVID. Two weeks ago against the Green Bay Packers, the 20 carries that he got in that game, there's a very good opportunity here for him to get that type of workload again against the Houston Texans. One, the Colts should win this game. Two, there's going to be either no or a limited Jordan Wilkins. Three, great matchup meaning they should have game scripts abundant. It should be a Jonathan Taylor game that he gets to run the ball over and over and over again, and it shouldn't hinder them too much. I do believe Taylor is looking at 18 to 20 carries in this game. If Taylor is getting 18 to 20 carries in this game, 
I have him as RB14. I have him as a high-end running back against the Houston Texans. He's a must-play. I think this is a game which you can expect to get the kind of value that you were hoping to get out of Jonathan Taylor all season long. Now, I'm going to do a little a little future uh, assessment here mo- moving forward because I already know what's going to happen. Let's say Jonathan Taylor does get 20 carries in this game against the Houston Texans. People are going to look at that. They're going to look at the last time he was on the field, which is against the Green Bay Packers, where he got 20 carries. And they're going to say, hey, Jonathan Taylor, for the rest of the playoffs, who Colts, again, kind of like the Tennessee Titans, have a lot of great matchups the rest of the way. Jonathan Taylor is going to be a league winner. Jonathan Taylor is the guy. He's going to be the bell cow. He's going to give everybody the value they were hoping for all season long throughout the playoffs. Cool your Jets. When Jordan Wilkins comes back healthy, there will be as much of a threat for a hot hand approach, as much of a threat for a three-man rotation as there has been all season long. So I that's why I just want to I want to let you guys know before this happens. While I think Taylor will get 20 carries this week, that does not mean that I would trust Taylor to be the bell cow, especially when it came to carrying the football the rest of the season because he did it two games in a row. I'm just gonna put that that seed out there for you guys now. I think you can get it for this week based on the circumstances. But this is going to be a week-to-week assessment depending on the health of this backfield, frankly. And not not at all on Jonathan Taylor's talent or what the Colts should be doing with the ball coming out of the backfield. I just want to put that out there right away. Hines is a low-end RB3 for me this week, just outside of that. I have him at running back 38, so I have him outside of that conversation. While I like the matchup, while he will have the passing work for the most part, Taylor has been a little bit more involved in the passing game. And again, because I expect this game script to be favorable for the Colts for the, at least the majority of the game, I don't know how much of an emphasis there's going to be to utilize Naeem Hines as much as you would like if you're looking at him as a possible flex play. So he's a guy that I'm owning because he's a handcuff, he's valuable, and we know that if certain guys get hurt, like a Wilkins or a Taylor or whatever, we know that Naeem Hines has the capability of being able to give you some big fantasy matchups, but he's not going to be in my starting lineup this week if I can at all help that. When it comes to the wide receivers, Michael Pittman is the only one I'm even considering, and even then, I have him ranked at wide receiver 39. I think there's a lot of other options that you can go with that you can trust more. I know it's a great matchup here, but because Phillip Rivers has been spurring the ball out, for the most part, and you can't really trust any one particular player to actually get the majority of the targets. I know it had been looking like maybe that would turn into Michael Pittman, but then look at last week, and then look at even the week before when Pittman had seven targets but only two catches, 28 yards. There's not a ceiling that you can base anything off of when it comes to this Colts passing attack. I know people want to look at Trey Burton as he is streaming option at tight end. I mean, he has much of a crapshoot at a touchdown as anybody, but no. I'm playing Jonathan Taylor. I don't want to play anybody else in the Indianapolis Colts, even in a great match against the Houston Texans. It's unfortunate, but it's just the status of that team. Now, we have, of course, we have a lot to talk about with the Texans side of things. Will Fuller, done for the year. You're in redraft leagues. It's not a keeper league. You can drop Will Fuller because his suspension is going to carry on into the first week of the season next year. Six-game suspension for the PEDs. What does that mean for everybody else? Well, the obvious is that there's a higher target share available for Brandon Cooks. They already moved on from Kenny Stills. Pretty much your two receivers that you're going to go with for the most part are Brandon Cooks and Kiki Kute. We'll probably see some no-name wide receiver off the practice squad that gets involved to some degree in this game as well. But it's a matchup against the Indianapolis Colts. It's not a good matchup. So I believe Cooks has a high floor because of the added target share that will now go his way as the featured wide receiver within this offense. 
which is why I have him at wide receiver 29. But he's still a wide receiver three because of a bad matchup here against the Indianapolis Colts. But before, he probably would have been outside of my top 36 had Will Fuller been in there. So he does have an added floor to his game in the Colts here and for the rest of the season. So I do believe you can play Cooks with some confidence. Jordan Aikens, yes, he has tight end stream ability. I do believe he becomes the best red zone threat from a passing standpoint without Will Fuller back there. But we do know that Darren Fells will still be involved in the red zone as well. And he could be a touchdown vulture when it comes to Jordan Aikens. So there's still a low floor for Jordan Aikens because they will rotate those two tight ends and what their opportunities will be, especially inside the red zone. So I still don't know how much I want to play Jordan Aikens either. I don't know how much of a boost it really gives him other than he might be more involved between the 20s. He might have a higher floor than he's had for the past couple of weeks or really all season long with Will Fuller there in the lineup. Deshaun Watson, QB eleven. Don't love the matchup. You take away his, you know, his neck. He took away DeAndre Hopkins before the season started. Now you take away Will Fuller. You don't get better as a quarterback when you start to lose options to be able to go to. So his legs are what gives him a fantasy floor. It what keeps him as a QB one. But he's a low end QB one. There's not a high ceiling for his game heading up against the Indianapolis Colts here. I don't think the Houston Texans are going to put up a ton of points. Quite frankly. What's going on with David Johnson and Duke Johnson? All right, well, so the Houston Texans, they did activate David Johnson in the sense that they opened up the 21-day, activate him off the eye. They designated him for return. So we're waiting for to see exactly when they activate him. It could be this week. It might not be. We have to see exactly what he's able to do in practice for the remainder of the week before we're able to get that conclusion. My sense is that we are still more likely that Duke Johnson will be the starting running back for this week. I do, though, have David Johnson ranked as if he'll be playing. If he plays, I have him at RB20. We do know that he's a bell cow back. Duke Johnson has, he had his first decent game last week against the Detroit Lions, and even then it wasn't still, it wasn't overly impressive. We know David Johnson will be the bell cow when he returns, so the touch work gives him a high floor, and therefore that's why he winds up being RB20 in a tough matchup against the Indianapolis Colts uh, this week if he plays. If he does not play, Duke Johnson will be an RB3. He'll be in the flex consideration. But because up until last week, at least, he hasn't been as involved in the passing game as you need him to be in order to give you a fantasy floor, I would probably look to try to steer away from Duke Johnson if I can, if he's going to wind up being the guy. Because against the Colts here, I don't expect him to have much efficiency or have a good stat line at the end of the day because he's just not been very impressive. And like I said, the, the first game, good game he had was against Detroit last week, but he's had easy matchups leading up into this week and really has not been able to capitalize. I'm not going to sit there and think he's going to have a good game against the Colts in this one either. So that's where my fantasy value at, at least heading into this week is for the Houston Texans and for Brandon Cooks moving forward now without Will Fuller. That wraps up our early window of matchup previews. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to end the show on the mailbag segment. So everybody stay tuned right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on your Android apps, or if you have iOS, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We just finished previewing the early window of games for week 13. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about the late window action from 12 to 1.30 right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network yet again. 
Now it's time for the mailbag segment. And remember, if you ever need a question answered, you need help, you need advice for your fantasy football lineups, you can always hit us up at Show on social media, Twitter, and Facebook there. I will get an answer to you no matter what. I'll select a few questions to be on the mailbag segment here as well. So that's always a great opportunity, a great resource at your disposal for your fantasy lineups. Now let's get into our first question here on the day, and that's Freddie. He asked me, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Philip Rivers, or Ryan Tannehill rest of season? Well, if you were listening to this show at all, you should already know the answer that I'm going to give you, and that is Ryan Tannehill the rest of the way. He has He's playing against defenses that are in the bottom third against quarterback every single game from here on out for your fantasy football playoffs. Ryan Tannehill is a QB1 the rest of the way, where the rest of these guys are only going to be in streaming territory at best. So hands down, Ryan Tannehill. It's not even a question there for me, Freddie, heading into that one. Gerard asked me, is Kenny Galladay playing this week or is he going to shut it down this season? Well, that's a very that's a very extreme question, thought process that you have in your mind where it's either he plays this week or he doesn't at all for the rest of the year. I, the answer somewhere is in between. Uh, right now, it's not lining up that he's going to play this week. We actually, during the break, just got a report that Kenny Galladay did not practice again today. Now that DeAndre Swift, actually, by the way, to kind of add that in there, is he's still working through the concussion protocol. So DeAndre Swift still is, it just became a lot more questionable for this Sunday, quite frankly. Uh, but no, it doesn't look like Kenny Galladay is going to play this week. However, as I said earlier in this show, we talked about it. The information that I'm getting is that the idea is that Kenny Galladay will still play again this season. There's both motivation on Galladay's part, motivation on the Detroit Lions' part to have him back this season. And I do think next week is a possibility. It just won't be this week most likely at this point with him not practicing again on Thursday. So Gerard, I think the answer is somewhere in between your question there. If you are in fantasy playoff contention, my advice to you would be to hang tight on Kenny Galladay. I'm not going to look to open up his roster spot at all. I do believe he will be back at some point for you. Our last question of the day, we got Eric asking me, Giovanni Bernard or J.K. Dobbins? This is very interesting. This is very interesting. So let's let's, let's take this question for at, at face value of what it really means, which is under the idea that J.K. Dobbins is going to be back out there and playing this week. Uh, that That's I was assuming what the question would be here under that assumption. They do play the Dallas Cowboys this week. Lamar Jackson, there seems to be that they think Lamar Jackson is going to be back, although that's still very much up in the air because he tested positive. So there's a whole you know whole thing he's got to go through. He's got to test negative at least twice, and it, it could cost him more than just a Steelers game. That's very much in the realm of possibility here. But let's assume Lamar Jackson plays as well. I think the big question on everyone's mind, and we're going to talk about this game a little bit more tomorrow. We'll reiterate some of this that we're going to talk about now. But the big question in everybody's mind is going to be, did what we saw before this past week against the Steelers and all the, all the COVID news came out going to continue? Where we saw J.K. Dobbins with a healthy Gus Edwards and a healthy Mark Ingram be head and shoulders, the bell cow back. He got 18 carries in that game. I believe Edwards only had four carries. Mark Ingram had like two carries, or maybe it was vice versa. But the point is they only had single-digit touches, and J.K. Dobbins was by far the bell cow back. I think everybody's question is, will that continue when J.K. Dobbins returns? And if that continues against the Dallas Cowboys, J.K. Dobbins is somebody you're going to want to be able to play. So to answer your question, if Dobbins comes back, do I think he'll be the work workload bell cow. That pretty much what it boils down to. 
My answer to that is I don't know. And anybody who tells you they do know is lying to you. The people that came out and said, like, oh, I definitely trust J.K. Dobbins the rest of the season out off of one game, one game, that he was actually the bell cow back. And that was enough for them to be like, oh, he's definitely going to be the bell cow back from here on out. Think about what I said to you earlier in the show when it came to Jonathan Taylor. And then I forewarned you guys now that even if he gets 20 carries in this game, a lot of people, a lot of fantasy analysis out there are going to tell you that he's definitely going to be a guy to trust his workload now moving forward because it's going to be two games in a row where he was that guy. And I warned you guys, when Jordan Wilkins is healthy and back, it's still very much in the picture this could be a three-man rotation. That same analysis could pertain here with J.K. Dobbins. A three-man rotation, a hot-hand approach is still very much in the cards. One game does not change that to be able to be confident in moving forward. Having said all that, if Dobbins is good to go against Dallas, I do believe that he will have a significant workload. And because Giovanni Bernard has no ceiling to his game right now because he's not getting involved in the passing game the way you need him to for his skill set to be able to translate for fantasy football purposes, I'm playing J.K. Dobbins over Giovanni Bernard if he's good to go this week against Dallas. I will add this caveat in also if Lamar Jackson's good to go too. If they're going to trace McSorley, because we just saw RG3 kind of get a little bit banged up in this game, so it's not a given that RG3 would even be available next week if Lamar Jackson can't go, then I would probably lean a little bit more towards Giovanni Bernard just because I know what his situation is going to be a little bit better. Where if it's no, if it's Trace McSorley, they could decide that they want to lean more on a power running game against Dallas, which could favor Gus Edwards or Mark Ingram. Again, that's why I'm saying it's not a set thing that J.K. Dobbins is the guy because it's going to kind of depend on their opponent, too, and what their philosophy going into that game is going to be. So that's why you have to take all those things into consideration. The, my hope would be my hope would be that Greg Roman does one thing right this year because he hasn't done anything right this year. He would do one thing right this year, and that's allow J.K. Dobbins to be the guy moving forward to try to add an extra element, an extra explosive element to their offense and allow him to be the guy. That's what I would hope would happen. But it's not a given, and I don't trust that to happen. If we see Lamar Jackson play, and they're going up against Dallas, then I believe J.K. Dobbins will most likely get more opportunities than the other two, but I don't know if it'll be on the bell cow rate that he did two weeks ago. The Dallas game would be a great indication as far as what we can expect moving forward, because if he does it again against Dallas with Lamar Jackson back, then I'll start to feel a little bit more confident. Then I'll start to say it's something you can maybe expect him to be the lead back in this in this, in this Ravens backfield moving forward, and therefore he could be a playoff winner if that continues to be the case. But we don't know that yet. And the Dallas game would be a good indication to get to see it. Obviously, you're not going to be able to see it first and then choose these two. So I would play J.K. Dobbins over Giovanni Bernard if Dobbins is good to go and if Lamar Jackson is also good to go there, uh, Eric. So that's going to wrap it up for the show. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back tomorrow from 12 to 1.30 again on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on your Android apps or WWSRN on iOS. You can always hit us up on your favorite streaming app as well, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you like to go. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is widely available to you. Make sure you're following us on social media at Show for all those player news, update notifications. And if you have any questions or comments and you need help with your fantasy lineups anything of that nature make sure you hit us up on there and check out our rankings which will be up to date throughout the week on bellyupfantasysports.com everyone stay safe stay happy watch a little college basketball tonight and we'll see you guys again tomorrow